when you find those places of discomfort and fear, it's when you learn the most about yourself and it's when you can really like do things that maybe you didn't think you could before. Hey, hurdlers, Emily Abadi here, bringing you episode 137 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about everything from their big wins to how they've gotten through some of life's toughest moments. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am so geeked about this. Like, <laughs> I feel like such a total fangirl. I am chatting with climber Emily Harrington. Now, if you don't know about Emily Harrington just yet, I'm about to blow your mind. When so many of us had our eyes glued to the television on election night, Emily was doing something absolutely insane beginning a free climb of the route Golden Gate on El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. Over the course of the next 21 plus hours, she became the first woman to free climb this route in under a day. I I can't even fully do it justice, just how risky it was what she did, how big of a deal it is what she did. When I got the call that I would have the opportunity to, to chat with her uh, for Hurdle, it was an absolute no brainer. In today's episode, she talks to me all about all of this and and how long she had had this goal, what went into the planning to execute this goal. And she also tells me all about a really scary moment when she actually fell during her climb and just totally gashed open her forehead. Like the grit and the bravery that it required to get back into the swing of things to get back to climbing after having that kind of fall complete with a lot of blood. It is astronomical. Em also gives me some of her backstory, telling me about how she got involved in climbing in the sport in the first place, growing up in Boulder, Colorado, and how she at one point, fun fact, was actually deciding between becoming a lawyer or taking on the sport professionally. Talk about two very different career paths. Before we get into Emily's story today, I do want to give a special shout out to my sponsor at Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest, as you might know, delivers delicious foods built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. And they have options for any time of day. I'm talking smoothies for breakfast, flatbreads for lunch or dinner, and my favorite thing right now, this time of year, comfort food for when the weather is starting to get a little bit chillier. I probably ate something from Daily Harvest for lunch three out of five days last week. And my newest go-to is their butternut squash and chimichurri harvest bowl. It is so good. I warmed it up with a few turkey meatballs and it was so flavorful, so satisfying, without any preservatives, added sugar, or artificial ingredients. 
you gotta trust me on this one. I would not steer you wrong. Daily Harvest is the easiest way to eat undeniably delicious, clean food. Head on over to dailyharvest.com and enter the promo code HURDLE25 for $25 off your first box today. Again, that is promo code HURDLE25 at dailyharvest.com, dailyharvest.com. Some other housekeeping before we get to today's episode. I do want to call out that there are a slew of exciting hurdle sessions on the horizon. I've got intro to freelance writing this week along with take your running to the next level and also upcoming an end of year goal setting workshop as well as the handling hurdle moments workshop. I am offering you guys a special discount code exclusive for podcast listeners. Use the code podcast at checkout. The link is in the show notes to get $5 off any live hurdle session right now. Again, the coupon code is podcast. Use that to get $5 off any of the upcoming hurdle sessions via the link in the show notes. As always, if you have a hurdle moment of your own to share or just want to say hi, I am always available over DM. Shoot me a note at Hurdle Podcast or at Emily Abadi. And while you're at it, giving Hurdle some love, head on into the iTunes store. Throw me a rating and review. It means the world. Now, I do want to say a quick thank you. So much gratitude to my friends at the North Face for connecting me with Emily. Emily is a North Face sponsored athlete. I, uh, again, I was just so hyped on this opportunity and her story, it's gonna give you the chills. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Emily Harrington. She's a professional rock climber, adventurer, and recently made headlines after climbing El Capitan's Golden Gate route. How you doing, Em? I'm doing well. I'm just getting to the end of kind of a busy week of media, and I went back to Yosemite, actually, to shoot some photos, and now I'm at home just watching a snowstorm roll in. I want to I want to start us off here because there's just like so much ground to cover. For those of uh the listeners as I call them the hurdlers that might not be completely familiar with just how stellar your accomplishment is from earlier this week, why don't you just explain what you recently overcame? Okay. Yes, I can do that. So, what I recently did was I pre-climbed a route on El Capitan in Yosemite. The route was called Golden Gate. Uh, and I did it in under 24 hours. Um, El Capitan is a 3,200-foot granite wall. It is one of the most iconic and historic and difficult walls in the climbing world. It's sort of a bucket list achievement for rock climbers around the world. Everyone knows what it is. Um, and everyone sort of strives to experience rock climbing on El Cap. Um, most people who climb El Cap do so over the course of multiple days. They spend the night on the wall. They sleep up there. It's sort of like a vertical camping experience. Um, and what I was doing was something called free climbing. That is not to be confused with free soloing. Free climbing is when you simply use your hands and your feet to ascend a rock wall. Um, and you do have a rope and you have protection in case you fall. So it is actually quite safe. Um, compared to free soloing, which is essentially just climbing without a rope. And if you fall, you die. And very, very, very few climbers practice that style of climbing. 
Um, most climbers are free climbers. Um, that said, El Cap is extremely difficult to free climb and to do it in under 24 hours is reserved for just a very elite level of rock climbing. Um, it took me about five years to achieve this goal and I'm super happy. It's sort of like a life dream accomplishment type of thing. When you say five years to achieve this goal, do you mean five years since you set out to achieve this goal that it took you to achieve this goal or five years of climbing experience? <laughs> well, yeah. So I have 23 years of climbing experience. <laughs> That's what I was going to say here. Yes. I actually climbed that route Golden Gate over the course of six days in 2015. And at the time, it was a huge achievement for me. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And after that point, I sort of got it in my head that, oh, it would be really cool to kind of distill the experience down into just rock climbing, because that's what I love most. That's what I'm most passionate about. And the idea of just starting at the bottom and starting climbing and not stopping until you reach the top um, and doing it in under 24 hours, it's just, it was such an inspiring and cool objective to me. Um, and so from 2015 on, I guess I had had it in my head that that's something I wanted to do. And so I just sort of started working towards it. I love that. So I know that you live in the Tahoe area now, but where did you grow up? I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, which at the time was like a very, very um, centralized climbing town in the U.S. It was like where most climbers lived. And I was lucky enough to, to be born and raised there. So you grew up around climbing then? Yeah, I actually started climbing when I was 10 years old on one of those like little artificial walls um, you see at like festivals and stuff like that. And I remember <laughs> I, um, I started, I climbed the wall and I just remember this feeling of like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. Like, this is it. This is my, this is my thing. And I remember just telling my dad, I want to climb. And he took me to the climbing gym the next week and then they had a little junior climbing team and I got on the junior team and we started traveling around doing competitions they took us outside um, that's where I got my start so I did I grew up very much within the climbing community I dig it so growing up in the climbing community uh, when you get started I mean at first forget what we're what we're tackling now at first did you have some of the the common fears that are associated with you know ascending high up into the air before you even took it outdoors yeah I mean I, I would say that I still have those fears it's still something that I deal with on a regular basis like when I was a kid I was afraid of climbing to the top of the wall in the in the gym and now I still get scared when I'm on the top of El Capitan just because there's a lot of air underneath my feet and it feels really exposed and it feels really intimidating. And I don't, I don't, I've sort of come to terms with the fact that that, that sort of fear is never going to go away. It's just, I've learned to embrace it and I've learned to control it a little bit better. How do you control a fear like that? Um, I think practice for me has involved really sort of taking the emotion and trying to not get rid of it and trying to not beat beat it. I don't really believe in conquering one's fear. I believe in sort of just sitting with it and accepting it and analyzing it and realizing why it's there and then realizing, thinking about what I need to do next. Um, so it, it's a little bit more about acceptance than anything. Um, I, I've, come to, I've come to realize that once you actually accept your emotion, you accept your fears, 
they're a lot easier to deal with. Um, they're a lot easier. They kind of like can go hand in hand with the experience. It's like, I'm afraid of this and I can handle this. It's just recognizing that you're afraid of it before you move on to the next step. Yeah. I've seen like recently, I've seen this like meme on Instagram or something and it says, um, feel the fear and do it anyway. And I really like that. Just let it, just let it be there. Let it, let it hang out with you. Let it hang out with you. (laughs) Okay, so climbing from a young age, getting into the swing of things, when did you know? I mean, you knew that it was something that you were passionate about, but when did you know that you wanted to make climbing into your full-time thing? Yeah, so I, it sort of happened gradually. I was always very focused on climbing ever since I started, and I was very focused on competition climbing, and I was pretty successful at that. Um, so from a young age, I was like one of the top level climbers um, in the U.S. Uh, for young girls that age. And I always knew that I would be a climber forever, that that was my passion. At the same time, I was still very focused on school. I went to university. Um, I graduated and I was on my way towards law school when I was approached by the North Face and they asked me to join their global athlete team. And so that was a major uh, door into this world of being a professional athlete. And that's when I decided to not go to law school. I put it off and was sort of under the, with the attitude of like, I can always go back. I should do this for a little while. I was in my early, early twenties. And um, that enabled me to travel a lot and it enabled me to experience other styles of climbing outside of what I was used to, which was mainly just like being a competition climber. Um, and, and here I am, uh, 13 years later and I'm still on the North Face team. That's still like my primary sponsor and things have just kind of taken off from there. So it was never in my head, like when I was a kid, Oh, I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be a professional rock climber. Those really didn't exist that, that frequently back then. Um, but now with the advent of social media and content creation, I feel like it, it, it has become a legitimate career and I feel pretty fortunate <laughs> to have sort oh, of like sure. been brought into it at this time. As someone, you know, coming of age, we all get to a place where we're making our own decisions. It's not always something that, you know, your family or your parents can weigh in on, but I feel as though when your passion and the thing that excites you is rock climbing to this extreme, your family must have had something to say about it. It's interesting because my dad is, he's always been someone who's really passionate about the outdoors. He's really passionate about um, just challenging himself and exploration. And so he's always bringing me camping and skiing. And when I started climbing, he actually started climbing as well. So my dad is also a climber. Um, and my mom isn't a climber, but she understands it very intimately now. And so my parents have a very, a very good understanding of what I do. And they've always been super, super supportive of, of what I want to do. And and of the path that I've chosen in life. And I feel pretty fortunate for that. So, okay. So then you get this contract with the North Face and you start traveling more and more and you're climbing many, many new routes in the scheme of things with this, with this traveling and being all over the place a little bit. How is it that you find, you know, time to kind of kick back and relax when you're constantly on the move? Yeah, it's actually, it was sort of a struggle 
it's always been a struggle in my life up until this year, obviously, um, was the traveling and the just constantly feeling pulled in all these different directions and, you know, having to move all over the place. And I think earlier in my earlier years, it was, I was just saying yes to everything. I was always traveling, just pretty psyched on it, actually, just constant movement. And then as I got older, I started to realize that there was a need for balance and there was a need for um, saying no to certain things, for staying in one place, for developing a routine, um, not only just for my own personal sanity, but also for my climbing. Like it's hard to train and stay at a top level when you're constantly moving and constantly traveling. So over the years, I've had to really uh, think carefully about that and try to balance it a little bit more. And then obviously this year, I got to spend a lot of time at home and it was actually one of the silver linings of all of this is that I got to really, really focus on my climbing and train really hard. And I think that's part of why I succeeded this past week. When you say have some sort of a routine, like what does that even look like for you when you are on the road? When I'm on the road, I try to, well, first of all, I try to get enough sleep. That's like the number one thing is getting enough sleep. Um, so whether that's like making an earlier bedtime or allowing myself to sleep in a little bit, like that's sort of my priority. Um, and then making sure that I have like food that I like to eat. <laughs> so sometimes I, you know, we travel with, with, we bring a lot of food with us and, um, try to try to make it feel like routine and like it is at home. And then I always, if I'm on the road for something that's not as much climbing related, I'm always on the lookout for ways to train, in my free time. So whether that's finding a climbing gym in wherever I am or bringing like certain training devices to do in the hotel room or whatever that may be. Or whatever that may be. So obviously, I mean, we're, we're getting, you know, as the years progress, we're getting closer and closer to you setting this big goal, but previous to you wanting to do this single day effort, what would you say has been one of the biggest goals that you have set for yourself in your climbing career? So I've set, I've set a lot of goals for myself in my climbing and most of them I haven't achieved yet. Um, they're still like in the works, just out, out in space, um, waiting to be addressed. Um, so I have a lot of, <laughs> I have a lot of goals. I, I think that one of the things that I really like about setting hard goals is they have to be willing to fail. So the reason I say like I have a lot of goals that I haven't succeeded at is because I'm I'm I've come to learn that like most of climbing is failing um 99% of the time we're just like falling and failing and trying to figure it out um and one of my goals is still uh that I've had for a few years now is to climb my hardest grade um which is sort of like a nuanced thing in climbing uh, but I've been working towards it towards for many many years now and I have this climb in mind that I want to do and it's in Spain so it's kind of an impossible task right now but I'm hoping in the future especially now that this project is uh, finished that I can uh, go back there and finish that in the next few years right and so in climbing basically climbers give grades or levels of difficulty to different routes yeah we um it is a thing very much so um it's definitely like yeah, the way that it works is someone sees a piece of a piece of rock and they see a potential path up that rock, and so um, they'll they'll work on climbing it, and they'll use various forms of protection depending on the the ethic in the area, depending on the type of rock. Um, but essentially, the person who first does it gets to name it, and then they get to 
grade it. And the grading system is a, it's very subjective, but we, you know, we do our best to, to take into consideration all the different things. And we have a, a grading system um, that everyone understands. And, um, <laughs> and so then people, people can try to repeat the climb and they can either confirm the grade or, or change the grade. And eventually there's a consensus on the grade. Um, and it's pretty cool. Climbing is a, I think climbing is a very creative process. I think it's, it's pretty interesting to walk up to a piece of rock and try to try to solve the puzzle, so to speak, try to figure out your way up. Um, and of course, like someone like me, I'm, I'm five foot two, I'm a five foot two woman. Um, I'm going to climb, climb it entirely different than say like a six foot tall man. Um, yeah. but, it's, but it's the same, it's the same piece of stone, but we're, we're experiencing it slightly different and we're finding our own way. And I really enjoy that. Right. And you mentioned uh, that a huge part of climbing for you in the scheme of things when it comes to all the goals that you have set is getting to be okay with failing. Talk to me about that. Like, how did you get to be okay with a sport that so much of it is coming up short time and time again? I think I really love the process of climbing. I love the movement. I love the process of figuring out my way I, I really do find it to be so cerebral and creative and one of my favorite favorite things about climbing is the process of finding a new project and like discovering holds and figuring out the movements. um so a lot of times like those days when I'm discovering something new is actually more exciting than when I actually send it and when I send it meaning complete it um <laughs> and so I, I think as climbers, a lot of us really are, we are of the mindset that like exploring that and figuring out our potential and kind of unlocking, unlocking the secrets of, of, of a particular climb is, is just as enjoyable as the success. Um, a lot of us, a lot of times, like I'll try a route and I'll, I'll never succeed at it. I, and, and I have just sort of come to accept that and realize that's a huge part of climbing. And I've learned so much through those processes, maybe even more than when I uh, succeed. Um, and so in a way, I've developed this attitude of like, I've I set these goals for myself, and I'm not sure if they're possible, but I'm going to learn a lot along the way. And therefore, I'm just going to keep trying. I love that attitude. And this kind of goes hand in hand. I know uh, not all that long ago, you gave a TED Talk. And in the TED Talk, you said, you are afraid because you are human. Fear can be your strength provided you give it purpose. I use fear to feed my determination and motivation with purpose. Fear is no longer paralyzing. Fear is an asset. That is like such a wise beyond anyone's years evaluation of fear. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I came up with that sort of philosophy because I've spent so many years like beating myself up about for being afraid, beating myself up for being afraid of failure, for being afraid of exposure, for all of these things. And, and it was just so, it was so hard on my like psyche to, to just constantly be feeling bad about the way that I felt. And I, over the years, the more and more I thought about it, the more I realized that my best moments are when I really do like hit that rock bottom, like, I let the I let the fear in. I let it kind of paralyze me. I let it I let the like temper tantrum come. And then and then I'm able to essentially refocus and kind of like use all of that energy in order to find that flow state and really perform. And sometimes I succeed and sometimes I don't. But when I do reach that place, it it feels pretty powerful. 
And I really enjoy that. I enjoy like, now I enjoy like finding out what my fears are, but finding out and really digging into it. And I think that as humans, we spend a lot of time avoiding those emotions and trying to not be afraid and trying to always be comfortable. And I think when you, when you find those places of discomfort and fear, it's when you learn the most about yourself and it's when you can really like do things that maybe you didn't think you could before. I love that. I remember I sat down uh, last year for the last season of the podcast with Nina Williams, uh, and we were chatting about how when she got to be okay with falling, that's when she got to be a better climber. Like when she embraced the fall instead of being worried about the fact that a fall might come in bouldering, that that was when she was able to reach a higher potential. Yeah, exactly. I love, yeah. And that's, a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Like once you stop being afraid of what might happen and of the outcome, you just sort of let it all happen as part of the, this beautiful experience and a part of why we're doing it. Then it's just so much easier to focus on the task at hand. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, Athletic Greens. I know, I feel the same way you do. We are all trying to navigate the holiday season as safe and healthy as possible. And for me, that is where Athletic Greens comes into play. It has got high quality prebiotics and probiotics that provide effective immune system support. And no matter where you are this holiday season, the travel packs couldn't make getting in your greens any easier. I shake up the greens powder every morning with 10 to 12 ounces of water in an ice cube. And in this sweet sip, not only do I get those prebiotics, those probiotics, but also adaptogens, superfoods, and the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. I'm telling you, do not sleep on trying Athletic Greens for yourself. They are offering Hurdle listeners a great deal. It's a free month of vitamin D with your first purchase. Something else that is so critical right now as it's getting colder outside. Again, get a free D3 K2 wellness bundle with your first purchase by heading to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. No code necessary. Second sponsor to give some more love to, uh, of course, my friends at Daily Harvest. Something that I think is really awesome is that Daily Harvest, they work directly with farms to freeze their ingredients at peak ripeness. And this locks in nutrients and taste. Literally, when I open up my freezer, I have so many flavorful options right at my fingertips, and I barely have to think twice about what it takes to prepare them. I mentioned that last week I was eating a ton of Daily Harvest, and one of my favorite new hacks is to actually blend the soups after warming them up. So. I think it was last Wednesday, I made the cauliflower and leek stew, and then I threw it into my Vitamix, and what I got on the other side of that was a thick, creamy, delicious soup that was absolutely perfect, considering I've been freezing in my apartment lately, and also, it tasted as if I had spent hours making it on the stove. Head on over to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code HURDLE25 to get $25 off your first box today. Again, that is promo code HURDLE25 for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com. 
five years ago, we set this crazy goal to, to send what we did last week. So in setting this goal, what are some of the things that you need to do to prepare in the weeks and months leading up to this particular feat, so to speak? Yeah. So this, this goal has been pretty, it's been pretty tough for me mentally and physically because it's so complicated. It's a type of goal that requires all the different skill sets in climbing in order to be successful because you have to be strong. You have to have bouldering power. You have to have endurance. You have to have the technical skill to climb on granite, which is super awkward and weird. You also have to have the ability to climb a lot of easier, more moderate terrain efficiently. And as a high level climber, a lot of us uh, disregard the importance of that. And then in addition, you have to have the stamina to be climbing for close to 24 hours and, and not bonk and have to have your nutrition right and have to have your logistics right. You also have to have a partner who's able to do all those things with you. So it's taken me years to kind of get to the point where the I feel like the pieces have all fallen into place and where I've balanced all of the training out so that I don't have too much of one thing and not enough of the other. So I've spent a lot of time training in the climbing gym. I spent a lot of time doing climbing specific training, like fingers and upper body strength and bouldering and stuff like that. But then I also spent a lot of days in the mountains, trail running, um, doing some easier, bigger routes, but trying to move quickly. Um, also like analyzing my, my risk profile, free climbing El Cap in a day is not exactly a safe way to climb because you do have to cut corners in order to go faster so I've learned a lot through that experience of sort of like what what risks I'm willing to take and what feels safe to me and what doesn't feel safe to me so it's really been a lot of trial and error and the past six months I've been able to because of COVID and because I was home so much I just had so much time to think a little bit more carefully about how I wanted to do things and how I wanted it to go. Wow. So a lot of planning, which makes sense because this is just such like a potentially risky and and just such an obscene challenge. You mentioned having to have like good people with you. Like how do you even figure out who does this journey with you? I remember I I um I listened to a podcast that you were on. I think the podcast came out on Monday and at the time you were saying like, "Oh, maybe Alex Honnold will come do this with me." But you didn't know yet. Like how how did you even manage that? Yeah, I was a little bit nervous about that actually because Alex has supported me the last three times. And the last time I wound up in the hospital and I, I was just worried that he would be like, oh my gosh, I can't deal with it. I just can't do it again. Like I can't support you again. But actually it was the other way around. And he thought that I didn't want him to belay me because he thought that I didn't think he was good at handling my emotions. <laughs> so we actually had like a chat about it and he was like, I'm happy to support you. I just thought you retired me as your partner. Um, so it, it really is about like, finding those people who are really competent up there and those people who are really willing to give you that support. And for me, I'm very lucky. Alex is such a close friend of mine and I've been climbing with him for so many years and he is just incredibly comfortable up there and he's incredibly supportive and and happy to be up there. Like for him, it's like his second home almost. And he's one of those people that provides a calming presence because instead of El Cap being this really intimidating, scary place for him, it's, it's just, a day out climbing and it's super casual. And so for having him really helped me, it helped me like lower the temperature in terms of like my nerves. Um, and then I did in fact switch supporters 
two thirds of the way up when the climbing got slower and harder and it was going to go into another night. I swapped Alex out for my fiance, Adrian, and he belayed me to the top. And he, he did get into the, like, he was more supportive, like during those emotional, like when it got hard. Um, whereas Alex was more just for the competency and the efficiency. So the next thing that I want to talk about is obviously you're moving for a long time. I know that you're also an endurance athlete. You're a fan of running and you do like other modalities and, and whatnot. So talk to me about how you think like varying your training also helped you for this. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, I've, I've run ultra marathons before. I'm really into like endurance style sports and I've, I've climbed a lot of mountains. I've spent a lot of I've done a lot of like 24 hour plus days in the mountains. And I think that that's helped me a lot in terms of just sort of knowing that like when you get to hour 18, like I've done this before, I've, I've gone another eight hours. Like I can totally do that if I want to, and I can be prepared for that. Um, and so I think that actually was a huge advantage for me. Like that, that aspect of my climbing, I've, I've spent a lot of years uh, climbing at altitude, a lot of years like trail running, you know, for long, long periods of time. And I think a lot of rock climbers don't, they don't practice that, that style of stamina nearly as much as I do. And so Alex, even, even Alex was like, if you go past 14 hours trying to free climb El Cap in a day, you're probably not going to succeed. And I was just more like, no way, dude, I, I could go 24 hours. I definitely could. And I'm going to be ready to. And so when I set off last week, I was fully ready to go like deep into the night and just stick with it. What an amazing, I'm just like sitting here nodding my head thinking about what a badass you are. So <laughs> the next thing that I want to ask you about is the fall because holy shit. So the the photos that are just like circulating around of you post effort uh, showcase a beautiful gash that you have on your head. So talk to me and tell the hurdlers about that moment where you fell a little bit and what was going through your head. Yeah. So I, I took a a bad fall and one of the harder pitches up higher. Um, I didn't really anticipate it to, I didn't really anticipate that to happen. I thought it would be just a normal safe fall. Like I've taken thousands of times. Um, and I kind of fell sideways. I don't really remember what happened, but I ended up kind of smacking my head pretty hard against the wall. Um, and I had this huge gash in my forehead and head wounds bleed a lot. So that's why it was like really dramatic. Like all of a sudden there was just blood everywhere. Um, I couldn't get it to stop. It was like dripping all over the place. It was dripping onto the ledge below me. And I lowered down to the belay and uh, was assessed for concussion and stopped the bleeding. And it was definitely a rock bottom moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I'm going to keep climbing. This totally sucks. I had a bad fall last year um, that where I wound up in the hospital. And it was sort of just one of those things where I was like, not again. I can't believe this. Um, but in the end, we we decided that I did not have concussion symptoms and we had stopped the bleeding. And it was sort of one of those things where I told myself like, okay, you just have to try one more time. And, and then if you still can't do it, then you can, then you can quit. Then you can stop. Like part of me really did want to stop. I was pretty emotionally drained and I was pretty scared. Um, but I gave it that one more try and I just had one of those out of body, like, flow state experiences where I was just sort of blowing up the wall, not really aware of what was going on. And I had, I had succeeded and climbed that, climbed that pitch cleanly and could continue. I'm in awe of you. So <laughs> upon falling at this point, how much longer did you have on the wall? Mm, not very far distance wise, like 
a couple hundred feet, but I still had one really hard pitch, the pitch that I had failed on last year. And then a few more like not hard, but like pretty scary, dangerous pitches. Uh, it probably took me another four to six hours from there. Wow. Uh, in that moment when you're, you know, technically okay, but not sure where you're at emotionally, like what is the tipping point? Like, what is it that you say to yourself to get you to a place mentally where you can keep going after something like that? I mean, I think for me, I just really had to simplify it down into like, just try once more, like just go one move at a time, try once more, see what happens. Like I abandoned all expectations. I abandoned all like hope for success. It was just like only about being in that moment and going one move at a time because it's all I could really emotionally handle. I love that you just said the word expectations because I think that expectations really kind of shape our reality, but also hold us back a lot or like kind of augment what's going on. Uh, So for you to say like, I let go of expectations, sometimes that can be the biggest win, like the biggest component to actually being able to find success or to find some sort of homeostasis or happiness without, you know, letting yourself down. Yeah. I think it it goes back to the whole like accepting fear idea. Um, But that said, I think letting go of expectations when you want something so badly is really hard. I think it's a hard thing to just do on the spot or on demand. And so a lot of times you have to go through something hard like an injury or some sort of setback in order to let go of the expectations. At least that's what it takes for me. Um, It's almost like I have to hit rock bottom before I can let go of all of that junk and then really focus on what I'm meant to be doing. I haven't really unlocked the key to like let going of all expectations all the time. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if anyone can completely, especially like you said, like when you care about something, it's hard not to have hopes or expectations of like what could happen. Yeah. It's almost like you have to trick yourself. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And that's what sports psychologists are for. So, (laughs) so have you, have you worked with a sports psychologist in the past? Yeah, I do work with one actually. And she's been enormously helpful for me in the last year and a half. For someone who's never spoken with one, what would you say has been one of the biggest unlocks through your time working with a sports psychologist? I mean, I think a lot of the, what I'm saying about accepting fears and um, embracing the things that you're feeling and letting them exist alongside of you is, is really one of the most valuable things I've learned. Like that everything you're feeling is okay. That everything you're feeling is, is valid. Um, And sort of trying to get rid of like the judgment of myself and the feeling of like, oh, I should be doing this. I shouldn't be feeling this. I should be feeling that. Like a lot of that is just like really messy and gets in the way. Um, And so just sort of, I think it's what's helped me a lot is like just acceptance of, of who I am and acceptance of how I'm feeling and acceptance of the fact that my way is the right way because it's mine. And moving through that um, and being able to move through that with all the like sticky, messy emotions attached to it, um, instead of trying to get rid of them, instead of trying to beat them, um, which I think is a pretty counterproductive process at this point. I love that, what you said about because it's mine. Like you're entitled to do things your own way. You're entitled to feel how you feel because it's part of who it is that you are. Exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. How, so then get me to the top with you here. You're like, I don't, I can't even imagine how that felt. Yeah. So I, I got to the top at like 1030 at night. Um, and it was this experience that I had always dreamed about and fantasized about and thought like, oh, what's it going to be like? How's it going to feel? Who am I going to see? All of that. And, um, you know, it, it was really simple and it was really surreal. It was, I was really tired and it was a super quiet night and the stars were out and there was no wind and it was just me and a couple friends. And, you know, I think that it was really special and meaningful because in climbing, a lot of times those great achievements aren't, they're not celebrated by an audience. You're not in a stadium. Um, there's no live streaming or anything like that. And it just felt really intimate and it felt really special and magical and like nobody knew yet. And so it was just one of those, I don't know, it's just one of those special moments that I'll always remember. And I think I was still like, it hadn't quite sunk in yet. I was just really in the moment. I think a lot of individuals, especially in 2020 on your note of, I didn't have an audience. It was something for me, sometimes not having an audience can prove to eventually be some sort of a challenge because you're like, well, if no one's here to watch me do this, or if if no one saw me show up to the starting line, then like I could just duck out at any time. But it seems like for you, I mean, although it was technically an option, like ducking out wasn't an option. No. Yeah. This is something I was pretty dedicated to. And I think when I first started with the goal, I didn't really know if it was possible. And that's sort of why I chose it. I didn't really have the pressure of like, oh, I have to succeed. And um, it was just sort of kind of fun to try. And it was inspiring for me to try. And the more I committed to it, the more I realized I was capable of doing it and the more I wanted it. And so I, I think in a way that I wasn't really going to stop until I'd either done it or proved to myself that I'd given it as much as I possibly could. I like the idea of the more I committed to it, the more that I understood that it was possible. Because how many times, I mean, in rock climbing for you, for me, like within running, I do a lot of that. Like there have been so many times where I've thought to myself, like, there's no way I can do that. Like, that's not something that I can do. I'm not capable of this. But then I either laced up or put myself out there and and tried. And those goals, those things that felt at one time completely unobtainable, like you start to geek out that you think like, holy shit, maybe I can actually do this. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a really beautiful process. It really... And I think it apply it applies to everything, not just rock climbing, not just sports, like everything, everything that anyone strives towards. Um, I think I think it's really cool to aim high and then slowly chip away at it and realize if it's possible. The aftermath, I'm sure, as you mentioned, you've been doing a lot of interviews, been talking to a lot of people. It's probably been one hell of a whirlwind. Have you had time to like reflect for yourself, and and how do you reflect on an experience like that? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to having that time to reflect on it. Um, I, I did a little bit, but then, you know, you sort of just get bogged down in the um, in the retelling of the story, which is really cool. And people are really, really positive and they've been so inspired by it. And that's been that's felt so nice. But I'm looking for, actually uh, today is the last day of like interviews and media and stuff. And I'm sort of I, I actually just told my fiance, I was like, Tonight and tomorrow night, we're going to, like, not have phones and we're just going to, like, be in the moment and be home and, like, 
have a real celebration because it's been a total whirlwind and I haven't really had much time to sit and reflect, which is okay with me, but I'm definitely ready for that time right now. I'm ready for that like me time for sure. For sure. And you mentioned the word inspire. So I've got to ask then, who is it that inspires you as you are inspiring so many people to, to conquer their fears and do it anyway? Yeah. So I think what's really cool about this achievement actually is that the very first person to free climb El Cap in a day, I did it via a route called Golden Gate and I was the first woman to do so. But the first person to do it via any route was a woman and her name is Lynn Hill and she climbed something called the nose and she did it in 1994. So I was seven or eight years old at the time. And so this achievement and that achievement at the time, it was like unheard of. Like people were like, no way that's impossible. Like there's just no way. Um, and <laughs> she, so she essentially pioneered this achievement and there's not that many achievements in sport that were first done and first, like, sort of, like, groundbreaking achievements. Like, it's a historic achievement in climbing, and it's owned by a woman. And I started climbing in Colorado, and Lynn was living in Boulder at the time, and so I knew who she was, and I knew what she had done, and I always associated this achievement with women. And I just think that that is so cool, and I find it to be so inspiring, and I'm just so honored to have sort of, like, joined this very small club group of women who have have been able to achieve this and just like contribute a little bit to that inspiration what a dope club to be a part of (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if you have to think right now about let's say the last five years of your career as a professional climber uh, and you have to think back to some of the best advice that you have received what would you say that would be well I came up with this mantra well actually me and my like sports psychologist came up with it last week like before I climbed and essentially it's it's not original it's this idea that comes from the military I think and the saying is slow is smooth and smooth is fast and so it's the idea of I think it it kind of encapsulates a lot of ideas like the idea to like slow down and be present and really think and be deliberate about your actions and about what you're doing it kind of like draws my focus in a little bit. And when I was on the wall, it really helped me just focus on like individual movements, whether they were hard, whether they were easy. It was just a very uh, grounding phrase, I think, for me. I think a lot of times we have a tendency to think really far ahead and kind of like do the domino thing where we're like worried if one thing happens, then another thing's going to happen, then another thing happens. And I would just like, if I was getting that way, I'd just say that to myself. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And it just really... um it really helped center me and it really helped, uh, helped me not get overwhelmed. And I think that I'm going to apply that to pretty much everything I do, even if it's like <laughs> <in the> kitchen. Um. <laughs> Flow is smooth in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of a, a, something that somebody said to me before I ran, uh, I want to say the Chicago marathon last year and it was come back to calm. Yeah. It's like everything around you could be going to shit, but if you have the power to come back to calm and like take a deep breath, then you have the power to take back control. Yep. I like that. 
I like that. I'm sharing it with you. I'm sharing it with the hurdlers. We can all come back to calm. So people come to your Instagram. They see a climber. They've heard all of the news. They see 275,000 followers. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Um, <laughs> I see a woman who has achieved her life dream and is a little bit frazzled, a little bit confused about what's next, but is completely accepting of that at the moment. (laughs) At the moment. So then at the moment, what else excites you besides the kicking back with Adrian this weekend? Um, Another thing that excites me is we are going to go climbing. We're going to go on the road starting on Monday. We're going to go climb some smaller cliffs. We're going to go sport climbing outside of Las Vegas. And uh, Adrian has a goal that he's been working towards for a few months, actually maybe a year now. And so we're going to focus on his goal. So it'll be kind of fun to sit back. I'm still going to climb, but like take a back seat and like focus on what, like put the energy towards him and his achievement and um, hopefully be a good supporter. What a special relationship that the two of you have. (laughs) You mentioned choosing at one point between being a lawyer and being a climber. Do you ever see yourself going back and maybe becoming a lawyer? (laughs) I I don't know. uh, It's always in the back of my head, but right now I'm pretty psyched on climbing. (laughs) (laughs) Right now it's a pretty good thing for me. It's working out pretty well. I'm still not bored, so I'm going to keep doing (laughs) it. You have an opportunity right now to offer yourself a piece of advice. And I feel like the biggest hurdle that we've talked about recently is that is that scary fall that you had on El Cap. You have an opportunity to offer yourself one piece of advice going through that hurdle right now. What do you tell yourself? I think I I think it goes back to um like slowing down. Just really I would I would actually just say breathe. That's what I would say. Just breathe. Stop, take a breath, and then assess. Stop, take a breath and assess. Thank you so much for your time today, Em. I can't even tell you how much I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. It was was awesome to be on. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow you? Give me all of the details. Uh, Yeah, so my Instagram, I use my Instagram mainly for social, that's my main social media, uh, at Emily A. Harrington. And then Adrian and I have a YouTube channel that we put out episodes every two weeks. Uh, it's called Danger Stick TV. Um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, Danger is my nickname, and Stick is his nickname. It's S T I K. So Danger Stick TV is on YouTube, and you can watch longer form episodes about what we're up to. And we should have a Yosemite one coming out very soon. Is there going to be an episode based on the climb? Yeah, there is. Actually, maybe two. Oh, I'm so amped. So amped. (laughs) I am at Emily Abadi at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.